Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we do not have time for this kind of silliness. Oh, I think we got about fifty-nine. I think we got about fifty-nine minutes for this kind of silliness, sir. But thanks for your uh, your support, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I am back in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Back from a week in uh, lovely, hospitable city where they gave me a nice award, the Ernie Kovacs Award, a uh, Dallas, Texas, or as they call it now, Big E. And uh, I'm going to uh, break my normal rule. Uh, you know, we ne- neither you nor I have the time on this broadcast normally for me to talk about me. But um, I, as I say, I'm going to break that rule this week only. First of all, just a note to uh, the guys who are waiters or to gals or ladies who are women who are waitresses, wait persons, wait staff in uh, hotel in hotels where they have breakfast. Because I've been on I've been on the road, you see. And uh, just a note is that when when a customer asks you, is it real maple syrup, don't lie. You've learned not to lie about fresh orange juice. Although my favorite was uh, when I was on the road in England earlier this year. In, in last month, as a matter of fact. And I said, uh, is this uh, orange juice fresh squeezed? Yes, but not here. Uh, but they still lie about uh, real maple syrup. Now, the deal is, if anybody's asking you that question, it probably means they have taste buds and can tell and don't want to have to go through the the thing of going, this is high fructose. Don't do it. Thank you. Um, as I say, I'm going to talk about me for just a second here because uh, I like me and I know me. No, uh, I've done a television program. It had uh, a nice reception when it aired first in Britain earlier this year. And it's coming to this country, not on any television station, but on YouTube, starting Tuesday. And it's uh, called Nixon's The One. And I'm talking to you about it because uh, you'll notice that I'm not on any other program on this station, (laughs) if you know what I mean, except if they carry Tavis Smiley show. Uh, And I'm not on any of those shows on the television with with the guys, the funny guys. So here I am. Um... It's a show about my favorite president for comedic purposes, and especially since he went to the the bit of bother of taping every single waking word of his for five and a half years. And we have them. We have all those words. And a lot of them are strange, spooky, funny. So um, my my pals and I, not the, not the normal ones, new pals, um, picked some of the best ones and... Um, Perform them word for word, pause for pause, hem for hem, haw for haw, and shot it as if uh, Nixon had hidden not just microphones but cameras in the Oval Office. And it's six half-hour episodes, as I say, on YouTube, because, you know, once you go past about the obvious six or seven networks, channels, uh, you're on something that you have to explain. Well, it's somewhere between Channel 252 and Channel 471, uh, depending on which county you live in. So everybody knows where YouTube is. It's on YouTube, and it's called Nixon's The One. I would love it if you saw it. I would love it if you like it. Tell your friends, even your enemies, if you have a list of them, because Nixon did. Hello, welcome to the show.
always my favorite Even before I knew you People could see right through you To those fingers crossed behind your back so Every kiss is a kiss goodbye Tight till they disappear It's harder to remember now we're Held up by the parade Wipe those tears off the steering wheel No one really knows how you feel So do not be Because those headlights do not understand They illuminate But can't comprehend They are seen and seen And still they have no notion That there's only motion There is no repose I will tell you where the moonlight goes Bluebirds sing and the green grass grows It goes rolling over a deep dark ocean Cause there's only motion There is no repose There is only motion There is no repose There is only motion There is no repose There is only motion From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this, this, right here, this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Once I had a secret that lived within the heart of me. All too soon, my secret became impatient to be free. Secrets, no secrets anymore. Hey, some secret stuff for you. A soon-to-be-released Senate report on the CIA, you know, that report on the CIA's torture program? You've heard about it. Or maybe you haven't because it's secret. It, the report does not assess the responsibility of former President Bush or his top aides for any of the abuses of the agency's detention and interrogation program. So, thus avoiding a full public accounting of uh, that particular chapter of the War on Terror. This according to McClatchy newspapers. Quote, this report is not about the White House. It's not about the president. It's not about criminal liability. It's about the CIA's actions or inactions, said a person familiar with the document who asked not to be further identified 
because the executive summary, the only part that will be made public, still is in the final stages of declassification, i.e., it's secret. So he's secret. Won't you be secret, too? The Senate Intelligence Committee report also didn't examine the responsibility of top Bush administration lawyers in crafting the legal framework that permitted the CIA to use simulated drowning, called waterboarding, and other interrogation techniques widely described as torture. Why bother? You know, let's look forward. It does not look at the Bush administration's lawyers to see if they were trying to literally do an end round, end run, or an end run, or an end run around justice and the law, the person, the secret person said. As a result, the $40 million five-year inquiry passed up what may be the final opportunity to render an official verdict on the culpability of Bush, Cheney, and other senior officials. Unless some court overseas decides to do that. Hey, who's that Spanish judge again? It's the, if it's the case the report doesn't really delve into the White House role, then that's a pretty serious indictment of the report, says Elizabeth Gotine, Goitin, sorry, the co-director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program at NYU Law School. Quote, ideally it should come to some sort of conclusions on whether there were legal violations, and if so, who was responsible? Unquote. <laughs> a lady who lives in the strange, quaint world of accountability. At the same time, she said the report still is critically important because it will give, quote, the public facts even if it doesn't come to these conclusions. The reason we have this factual accounting is not for prurient interest, she says. It's so we can avoid something like this ever happening again in the future, unquote. We'll put that in the wanna bet file. Several members of the panel of the Senate Intelligence Committee, known for their being in the Senate, have extolled the more than 6,000-page report as one of the most comprehensive examinations of an executive branch agency ever undertaken by Congress. As proof, Senate Intelligence Committee Chairwoman Dianne Feinstein says, quote, there are more than 35,000 footnotes in the report, unquote. I like a senator who counted footnotes. I trust her. Because it's got to be true if there are that many footnotes, you know what I'm saying? I believe it to be one of the most significant oversight efforts in the history of the United States Senate and by far the most important oversight activity ever conducted by this committee, said Senator Feinstein. And I think there are 12,000 footnotes to that quote alone. However, the Democratic-controlled committee did apparently drop a demand that the White House surrender some 9,400 documents related to the program, raising some questions about Feinstein's claim. The White House had refused to turn over the records for five years. This is the Obama White House, ladies and gentlemen. The most transparent administration in history? Yeah, I see right through them. The specific details of the documents remain unknown, the ones that uh, the committee requested that the White House refused. The CIA declined to comment. Feinstein's office did not respond to a request for comment. Because it's secret about the secrecy that the secret people do in secret. Not enough secrecy, if you ask me. But you didn't ask me, because I'm secret. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you know the uh, colony collapse disorder that has plagued the honeybee populations, not just in this country, but in other countries, uh, has been widely uh, connected, in some cases causally, by some studies, to the widespread use of neonicotinoids, uh, pesticides that are now in wide use in this country and other countries. Well, here's good news for the honeybees. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has just released an analysis of the benefits of neonicotinoid seed treatments for insect control in soybeans. The reason that uh, the honeybees get zapped is because seeds are treated so that the plant will have uh, 
insecticidal power through its entire lifespan, and that <laughs> that's a little bad for the bees. Well, now, as I say, the EPA has examined the benefits of that treatment for soybeans, concluding there is, quote, little or no increase in soybean yields using most neonicotinoid seed treatments, unquote, compared to using no pest control at all. They're genetically modified. They can stand up to it. The soybeans, I mean. Neonicotinoid pesticides are a class widely used on U.S. crops. EPA is reviewing with particular in- emphasis for their impact on the bees. Oh, no, the bees. We have made the review of neonicotinoid pesticides a high priority, says Jim Jones. Oh, no. That's unfortunate. Assistant Administrator for EPA's Office of Chemical Safety and Kool-Aid Pre- uh, Pollution Prevention. In our analysis of the economic benefits of this use, we concluded that on a national scale, U.S. soybean farmers see little or no benefit from neonicotinoid seed treatments, unquote. EPA found that many scientific publications claim that treating the seeds has little value. Part of EPA's assessment examined the effectiveness of these treatments for pest control and estimated the impacts on crop yields and quality, as, fe- as well as financial losses and gains. The law requires EPA to consider the benefits as well as the risks. There's no increase in soybean yield using these treatments compared to using no pest control at all. Alternative insecticides applied as sprays are available. Mmm, sprays. And effective. All major alternatives are comparable in cost. Neonicotinoid seed treatment could provide an insurance benefit against unpredictable insect pests, but this potential benefit is not likely to be large or widespread. This is an important part of the science EPA will use to assess the risks and benefits to determine if they continue to meet the safety standard And APA could perhaps discontinue certain uses, placing limits on the pesticide and requiring other label changes. So, honeybees, cross your wings. Help may be on the way. And now in the never-too-late department, Tales of Airport Security. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably remember for many years uh, the Transportation Safety Administration required you and me, really more you, to go through those X-ray scanners at the airport, backscatter X-ray scanners. We now don't have them anymore. They're gathering dust. They cost $150,000 per, and a team of researchers from UC San Diego, University of Michigan, and John Hopkins have discovered several security vulnerabilities in them. In lab tests, the team was able to successfully conceal firearms and plastic explosive simulants from the Rapiscan Secure 1000. That was the one that Michael Chertoff said we should have after the underwear bomber was discovered. It's totally coincidental that Michael Chertoff worked as a lobbyist for Rapiscan, isn't it? Don't you think? Not any coincidence? The team was also able to... Former... Homeland Security Secretary, of course. The team was also able to modify the scanner operating software so it presents an all-clear image to the operator, even when contraband was detected. Quote, Frankly, we were shocked by what we found. Unquote. J. Alex Haldeman, a professor of computer science at University of Michigan, he continues, a clever attacker can smuggle contraband past the machines using surprisingly low-tech techniques. 
The researchers attribute these shortcomings to the process by which the machines were designed. <laughs> oh, it's just the design. It's just a design problem. Don't worry about it. And evaluated before their introduction at airports. Quote, the system's designers seem to have assumed that attackers would not have access to a secure 1000 to test and refine their attacks, said a professor of computer science at UC San Diego. Well, it's called a secure 1000. How could an attacker have access to one? Just look at the nameplate. However, the researchers were able to purchase a government surplus machine found on eBay and subject it to laboratory testing. I blame eBay. Can we shut them down? Many physical security systems that protect critical infrastructure are evaluated in secret without input from the public or independent experts, according to the researchers. In the case of the Secure 1000, that secrecy did not produce a system that can resist attackers who study and adapt to new security measures. Secret testing should be replaced or augmented by rigorous public independent testing of the sort common in computer security, said the researcher. Secure 1000 scanners were removed from airports last year due to privacy concerns. Oh, it's my thing! And are now being repurposed to jails, no privacy there, courthouses, same, and other government facilities. The researchers have suggested changes to screening procedures that can reduce but not eliminate the scanner's blind spots. Any screening process that uses these machines has to take into account their limitations, said the researcher from UC San Diego. But we got some ex some fine x-ray exposure out of them. Tales of Airport Security, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... If you want me to love you All that you must do is just say so Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are now at the stage where commercials are beginning with um, uh, Out of the Blue. A guy is on a commercial and he just starts his, uh, his pitch uh, or his testimonial with the word so. So it's uh, it's gone now. See, that's a conclusory. So, that's different. Uh, it's gone all over the place. Uh, latest example for your edification, for your listening pleasure, I I would suggest, is uh, this conversation about uh, whether doctors and patients lie to each other. I think this is heard uh, on some uh, public radio stations throughout the country. How in the world did you get interested in dishonesty, lying, cheating? Uh, so actually, it was an interesting uh, case because my my first interest actually came from Enron. Enron, what did they do? So uh, you know, it's they basically took a tremendous amount of money out of the U.S. economy at the end of the day. But then there's Aunt Martha, and and she has a, a yard sale, and and she makes a couple of hundred bucks in profit. She probably doesn't report that to the IRS. I'm, I'm sure she doesn't. Uh, so actually, in addition to the academic research uh, that we're doing, uh, I've also started talking to big cheaters. Your child says, but Dad, everybody else is doing it. Yes. Not good enough, right? So it's actually a very, very complex question. How does conflict of interest affect people's integrity? So conflicts of interest is one of the terrible maladies of uh, modern society. But we haven't studied it formally the way you can. But we believe they have a conflict of interest because they approved it. Yeah. And saying, oh, this drug, it's really bad, would therefore 
reflect badly on their initial decision. So there's no question that you're right. But a lot of physicians don't think they need to share that. Yeah, so there's lots of, lots of different things here. So, look, I think that patients should trust physicians. Yeah, so there's a lot of different things here. Mainly, so. So they say, so they say, so they say. Knock it out, ladies and gentlemen, won't you please? Now, what the frack? More about frack sand or frack sand. However you do it. Trumpelow County, Trumpelow County regulators in Wisconsin are uh, concerned about a frack sand mine. There's concern over the drink, safety of drinking water in part of Trempolo County. That's why they're concerned. After a frack sand mine near Independence, Wisconsin, was shut down and is now being investigated for three different violations that go against its permit with the county. One of the violations refers to a dangerous chemical that may have gotten into the soil, or soil, as they say in Big E. Polyacrylamide is used to wash frack sand. you got to wash your sand. Red Fox told you that. In, it contains the chemical acrylamide, which studies have linked to cancer. I blame the studies. The uh, Gaza mine, nicely named, oh, sorry, the Guza mine in Trempolo County is allowed to use polyacrylamide in its settling ponds. Mm, that's where I want to end up my days. But the pond must be lined with concrete. During an investigation last week at the mine, Trempolo County officials discovered two ponds did not have the concrete. Now the mine's neighbors are concerned that drinking water is contaminated with the chemical, which studies have linked to cancer. Why don't they just get clean sand? Why do you have to wash it? Well, you got to wash your sand. The mine is about four miles south of the city of Independence, city with many people calling their county health department lady, lately. We've received phone calls with citizens being concerned about the drinking water, said the county health director, who said there's no proof yet any chemicals have contaminated the water. We don't know that anything got in there. We don't have any proof that anything, that there's been any spill or any leakage or anything, but the county is encouraging folks who are concerned to test their water. Well, you know how to test your water for polyacrylamide, don't you? <laughs> Just put your lips together. To see whether or not there's anything that is abnormal, the best way to know is to test, said the health official, who said there's no immediate danger to the public. Where's the weasel word? You can find it. The county is currently investigating and working with water experts to create some sort of plan. That's a good idea. The biggest impact, said the health director, will be to people with wells. City water is always tested by the city. But people who have wells, private wells, we would encourage them to do the testing. It could take months for anything to end up in the water, however. So uh, just figure out how to test for polyacrylamide, and you'll be, you're, out of, you're out of the woods. All clear for you. Uh, meanwhile, a new study says tracking triggered, fracking triggered hundreds of small, unnoticeable earthquakes in eastern Ohio late last year, months before that state first linked seismic activity to the much-debated oil and gas extraction technique, fracking. The report, which appears in the November issue of the journal Seismological Research Letters, my favorite letters, identified nearly 400 tremors on a previously unmapped fault between uh, October and December of last year that included 10 twakes, 10 quakes of magnitudes 1.7 to 2.2, intense enough to have temporarily halted activity under Ohio's new drilling permit rules had they been in place at the time. But they, they weren't, and it didn't. So why, why did I bring it up? I don't know, to be absolutely honest with you. But um, the quakes 
fell along a fault lying directly under three hydraulic fracturing operations and tended to coincide with the nearby activity, according to researchers. But wait, there's more. About 190 quakes were detected in a single three-day period last October, beginning within hours of the start of fracking. No one reported feeling the quakes. Relax. You didn't feel it. Nothing happened. Move along. A spokesman for the Ohio Oil and Gas Association said the industry is looking at the issue nationally, but wants more information on what caused the Ohio quakes. He said human-caused earthquakes are extremely rare. And he should know because he's from the Ohio Oil and Gas Association. (laughs) Ohio Department of Natural Resources spokeswoman Bethany McCorkle said the state has installed seismic monitoring equipment throughout eastern Ohio during the past year and is keeping close watch for earthquakes strong enough to be felt. A um, geophysics professor at Cornell who was not involved in the study said some faults cannot be discovered until underground activity is attempted. It's a quake finder. It's a fault finder. It's fracking. She said the latest findings can be used to try to prevent worse quakes. Quote, we've known for a really long time, going back to the 70s, that when you do any subsurface manipulation, you cause small earthquakes, she said. The big question is, are we doing something now that increases the probability that will induce larger quakes? Fracturing rock results in micro-earthquakes, but some of the tremors in Ohio were significantly larger than expected. That all from the Columbus Dispatch. Read with a bit of dispatch. And... um, That is, ladies and gentlemen, what the frack? You know, what's a few earthquakes among friends? I've I've grown up around them, and look and look at me, I'm fine now. News from outside the bubble. This is about our friend Saudi Arabia. You know, our ally in the uh, new thing against IS. Saudi Arabia is facing, this according to The Guardian, is facing an international outcry and accusations of promoting sectarian hatred. Why? Uh, Because they sentenced a Shia Muslim religious leader to death. Sheikh Nimar Bakir al-Nimr, who led protests at the height of the Arab Spring, was convicted this week of sedition and other charges in a case that's been followed closely by Shias in both Saudi Arabia and neighboring Bahrain. Shia Muslims make up about 15% of the population of Sunni-ruled Saudi Arabia. State prosecutors had reportedly asked for Nimar to be crucified, ladies and gentlemen. Crucified. Friggin' crucified. You see what I'm saying? The sentence is thought likely to be commuted on appeal. They'll just nail one hand. Nimr was arrested in 2012 and ill-treated during his two-year detention, much of it spent in solitary confinement. He was denied surgery for bullet wounds suffered when he was arrested. He was charged with, quote, disobeying the ruler, inciting sectarian strife, and encouraging and leading demonstrations. We wouldn't want that in our friend Saudi Arabia. In Iran, Saudi Arabia's chief regional rival and political center of the Shia world, the foreign ministry warned on Thursday the execution would have dire consequences. Dire. It called Nimr an Ayatollah, giving him the second most senior clerical title in this Shia hierarchy. The British Foreign Office said the UK opposes the death penalty as a matter of principle. 
The Saudi authorities have portrayed the cleric as an instigator of discord and rioting, but his supporters and family have denied he incited violence. In a BBC interview, he said he backed the roar of the word against authorities rather than weapons, unquote. The arrest of his brother and other relatives after his sentencing has fueled anger that is being ventilated on Twitter and other social media. Says the deputy Middle East director of Human Rights Watch, Saudi Arabia's harsh treatment of a prominent Shia cleric is only adding to existing sectarian discord and unrest in our friend Saudi Arabia. It's past disability, he says, the guy from Human Rights Watch, lies in ending systematic discrimination against Shia citizens, not in death sentences. Amnesty International described his sentencing as part of a wider Saudi government crackdown on dissent. Because that's, you know, they're one of the good guys. Shia and Sunni groups said they were extremely alarmed by the sentence. Ayatollah al-Nimr is a respected Muslim figure in Saudi Arabia, said 10 organizations in a statement. He is a faith leader, reformist, and human rights activist who has campaigned for an end to discriminatory laws against the Shia minority. The sentencing will further inflame sectarian tensions and provide encouragement to extremist groups, which Saudi Arabia claims to be leading the war against. Ain't they? But, you know, crucifying? Really? John Allen, the retired Marine general in charge of coordinating the U.S.-led coalition's response to IS, confirmed this week what Syrian rebel commanders have complained about for months. The United States is ditching the free Syrian army and building our own local ground force to use primarily in the fight against Islamic extremists. This is from McClatchy newspapers. Their Washington bureau was right all along during the run-up to the Iraq war. So I kind of I tend to pay attention to what they report. Quote, there is, at this point, there is no formal coordination with the free Syrian army, Allen said. That's perhaps the bluntest answer yet to the question of how existing Syrian rebel forces might fit into the U.S. strategy. Allen said the United States' intent is to start from scratch in creating a homegrown moderate counterweight to the Islamic State. <laughs> start from scratch. Start with, the, you know, drawing Syria on a map and go from there. Why not? For most of the three years of the Syrian conflict, the U.S. ground game hinged on rebel militias that are or loosely affiliated under the banner of the Free Syrian Army, or FSA. The problems were no secret. A lack of cohesion, uneven fighting skills, and frequent battlefield coordination with the al-Qaeda loyalists of the al-Nusra Front. This time, Allen said, the United States and its allies will work to strengthen the political opposition to make sure it's tied to a credible field force that will have undergone an intense vetting process. It's not going to happen immediately. (laughs) Really? Starting a new military force from scratch will not happen immediately? Seriously, General? You wouldn't lie to us, would you? Quote, we're working to establish the training sites now. They're not even establishing the training sites. We're working to establish them. Do you get the time frame? And we'll ultimately go through a vetting, pro- <laughs> ultimately go through a vetting process and beginning to bring the trainers and the fighters in to begin to build that force out. Notice how many helping verbs he used there? I think those helping verbs are not helping. The Syrian arena is important, Allen said, but the U.S., the emergency in Iraq right now is foremost in our thinking. There will be a simultaneous training and equipping campaign for Iraq, where the U.S. trained military, you may have noticed, collapsed. So we'll be retraining them to uncollapse. By the way, while there's this report, um, there was a report, I believe in the Washington Post, 
that, from Iraqis alarmed because the Islamic State uh, military is uh, moving ahead, making great progress in Anbar province, a Sunni province in Shia-led Iraq, very close to Baghdad, where Fallujah fell to the IS earlier this year. And uh, the Iraqis are complaining that the U.S. is diverting most of our airstrikes to uh, the town in Syria on the Syrian-Turkish border, Kobani, which I mispronounced last week as Cobain because I thought the Syrians named it after a dead rock star. Um, So the Iraqis aren't feeling that uh, the uh, emergency in Iraq now is foremost in our thinking, as General Allen told reporters this week. He said the new training program is for those elements of the Iraqi National Security Forces that will have to be refurbished. That's what you do with troops that collapsed. You refurbish them and then put back into the field. I like his way with wage. With the ultimate goal of reclaiming Iraqi territory seized by the Islamic State. Allen sounded confident, well, that's enough for me, that the United States and its allies could juggle two massive training efforts, even as the Islamic State has shown itself to be resilient under weeks of coalition airstrikes. We have the capacity to do both, and there's significant coalition interest in participating in both, Allen said, of the twin force-building efforts in Iraq and Syria. But as he stressed repeatedly in his remarks, it's going to take a while. You know, I think he's right about that. I get the feeling. I'm beginning to think, I'm beginning to build the capacity to believe that he's right about that. Ahmad Tomeh, who was just re-elected prime minister of the Syrian opposition's interim government, told McClatchy that Allen met six leaders of the political opposition during his trip to Istanbul last week, but had no talks with any of the ground commanders, including the vetted, trained commanders of the free Syrian army that the U.S. has been supporting. They asked for increased help, said Tomeh, but got no commitment. All of it, ladies and gentlemen, of course, in the service of what appears to be, at least according to the president, our prime objective right now, not to have American boots on the ground over there. Returning to Iraq, we drive the smartest bomb, we fly the fastest plane, where we can squash old asses, one hand tied behind our brain. Oh, we got some Arab partners, the whole shebang. Just works. Thank the Lord we don't have to ask for soldiers from the Turks. We'll have her done by Christmas if we can catch a break. Not gonna do no walking, it's just a piece of cake. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Deadline Seoul, South Korea, the capital with a soul, the captain of a damned uh, of a doomed South Korean ferry this week apologized for abandoning passengers, but said he didn't know his actions would lead to the deaths of more than 200 people. Captain Lee Jun Siuk and three different crew members from the ferry were uh, indicted on homicide charges alleging they were negligent and failed to protect passengers when the ferry sank in April. He said he had no intention of killing any of his passengers. I know I cannot get out of prison, but I must not let my children and grandchildren live being called family members of a murderer, he's quoted as saying. Court is expected to rule on him and the 14 other crew members next month, but he's sorry. London Mayor Boris Johnson, who is a a very serious politician disguised as a joke, has never shied away from taking on an opponent, but a trip tackle in a charity football match, soccer match we'd call it, against a nine-year-old soccer player has Britain's calling foul. Johnson was taking part in a promotional match outside City Hall when a boy attempted to dribble past him. The suit-and-tie-clad mayor then stuck out his foot and tripped over the boy as spectators cried out for the referee to act. The boy immediately got back to his feet and kept playing. Johnson, Mayor Johnson, Mayor of London, later apologized for the trip tackle after the event, which was created to promote the health benefits of playing sports. That was a total mistake. I apologize very much, he told Sky News. I was going for the ball. It's not the first time Johnson has been slammed for an illegal soccer tackle in a charity match between England and Germany. Eight years ago, he charged at a German player, headbutting him in the groin. Boy, you bombed my chip shop, he was not quoted as saying. To be honest, I'm a rugby player, he said afterwards. I'm always getting penalized for... I was always getting penalized for fouling when I played football. John Grisham, the writer, is taking back statements he made about child pornography and sex offenders. In a recent interview with the UK's Telegraph, he said... Well, he sparked outrage when he expressed his belief that some people who view child pornography online are receiving punishments that don't match the scale of the crime. The comments incited a flood of hurt, disappointed, and angry reactions from fans. How do you think child porn is made? Someone is still getting hurt, you imbecile, said one. Gresham issued an apology after the uproar. Anyone who harms a child for profit or pleasure who in any way participates in child pornography online or otherwise should be punished to the fullest extent of the law, he said. My comments made two days ago during an interview were in no way intended to show sympathy for those convicted of sex crimes, especially the sexual molestation of children. I can think of nothing more despicable. I regret having made those comments, and I apologize to all. So you, you out there, he apologized to you. You didn't even know about it. He's sorry. In a blow to Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, His newly appointed trade minister was ensnared in controversy this week after reports that her political funds were spent buying theater tickets for supporters and goods from relatives' businesses. This is Yuko Obuchi, the 40-year-old daughter of a former prime minister who heads the the powerful Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry, METI, regarded as a possible future contender to become Japan's first women premier. She apologized at a parliamentary panel for the controversy after the reports of misuse of funds 
possibly violating electoral and political funding laws. How quaint. Doesn't that sound quaint? Political funding laws? I apologize from the bottom of my heart for the fuss created by my private matter, Obuchi said. On NBC Nightly News Monday, Brian Williams read out a statement from NBC News Chief Medical Editor Dr. Nancy Snyderman, who was out and about near her New Jersey home Thursday despite being under voluntary quarantine due to possible Ebola exposure. When the state of New Jersey Health Department found out about it, it required Snyderman and her crew be placed in a mandatory quarantine. While under voluntary voluntary quarantine guidelines, which called for our team to avoid public contact for 21 days, her statement said, members of our group violated these guidelines and understand that our quarantine is now mandatory. We remain healthy and our temperatures are normal. As a health professional, I know that we have no symptoms and pose no risk to the public, but I am deeply sorry for the concerns this episode caused. Also, for the fact that ABC is now ahead in the ratings. No, sorry, she didn't say that. Lululemon Athletica apologized to sports fans in Buffalo, New York, after a due ire for the phrase, wide right, no goal, spelled out in tile on the floor of a local store, reference to painful losses the city suffered in football and hockey. But they got some publicity. A British government official apologized this week after saying in leaked audio there are some people referring to disabled persons who are, quote, not worth the full wage and could probably survive on less than the minimum wage. In audio obtained by the BBC, they don't have the name of the guy. It is Freud. I don't know what his first name is. He's a a minister in the conservative government, and he made, obviously, a Freudian slip. Um, who said, there's a group, and I know exactly what you mean, where actually, as you say, they're not worth the full wage. And actually, I'm, I'm going to go and think about that particular issue, whether there's something we can do nationally without distorting the whole thing, which actually, if someone wants to work for two pounds an hour and it's working, the current minimum wage is about six pounds, 50, or 10, 50, 10 and a half bucks in American dollars. I would like to offer a full and unreserved apology, said Freud. I was foolish to accept the premise of the question. To be clear, all disabled people should be paid at least the minimum wage without exception. And I accept it as offensive to suggest anything else. I'm now in search for my first name. He didn't say that, of course. In a Facebook interview where U2 band members answered questions asked by their fans, U2 frontman Bono apologized to iTunes users that were upset after the band's new album, and you can figure out what the name of it is for yourself, was automatically downloaded on their devices without their consent. Bono says the group got carried away with themselves and were worried their songs that they had spent two years working on might not be heard, and they might have to pay taxes. No, he didn't say that. But they do avoid taxes, you too. Oops, I'm sorry about that. I had this beautiful idea, and we got carried away with ourselves. Artists are prone to that kind of thing. Drop of megalomania, much of generosity, dash of self-promotion, and deep fear that these songs that we poured our life into over the last few years might not be heard. U2's newest album was provided free to 500 million iTunes users. Apple pushed the album to iTunes accounts, causing some devices to download the album without user permission. Apple created a tool to allow users to remove the free album from their devices. Former Charlotte Mayor Patrick Cannon was sentenced this week to 44 months, uh, over three years in prison after pleading guilty over the summer to federal corruption charges. He will not be taken into custody right away. At one point, he turned around, tears in his eyes and mouths, I love you, to several people sitting behind him. He apologized for the shame he brought to the city of Charlotte during his sentencing hearing. Sorry for the wrongdoing, shame on myself, my family, and city, he said. He says he failed as a father, a husband, and leader. He says he hopes he can be forgiven. His wife said nothing at his sentencing or while leaving. But I bet she gave him a mouthful at home. I don't know what accent that was supposed to be. Wife, a southern wife. 
And in recent weeks, giant stores nationwide changed their labeling procedures so it was difficult to customers know the quality of the meat they were buying. Rather than providing different options such as Prime, Choice, and Select, the company labeled meat simply as USDA-graded, a description that applies to all but a tiny amount of meat for sale in the United States. Giant's corporate parent, Ahold USA, or Ahold, Ahold, I'm sure they say, also owns Stop and Shop or Stop and Don't Shop. The Department of Agriculture official Larry Meadows charged with overseeing the nation's meat supply, said in an interview the action was problematic. We've never seen anyone use anything like USD graded before, he says. Shop and Stop spokeswoman, Stop and Shop spokeswoman Anne-Marie Selden released a statement Monday apologizing for confusion the meat labels may have caused. We've been working with the USDA to ensure that the new labels, which will be in stores beginning this week and next, are clear to customers and in full compliance to USDA standards. The firm learned from regulators the new label part of a brand rollout was not permissible because it did not tell customers the quality of meat they were buying. A giant spokeswoman also apologized to customers and said the labels would be replaced this week, and they'll change the name of the store to Shop and Stop. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet Adam, you are well? I'm doing okay. I'm keeping my head above whatever's under it. Whatever's under it is is probably not your head. Uh, Dateline, Lusby, Maryland, about 50 miles outside Washington, D.C., is a nuclear power plant that sits on the western shore of Chesapeake Bay. An investigation conducted by the Daily Caller website found anybody can enter the property of the Calvert Cliffs nuclear power plant, drive through the front gates, park not far from a nuclear reactor, and have no contact of any kind with security. It's a friendly plant. It is a friendly plant. A writer and photographer drove from the nation's capital to Calvert Cliffs and twice accessed the power site. No one stopped or even seemed to notice them. they got more important things to look at. TV? Computers? The Wolf Creek nuclear power plant in Kansas cost $3 billion to mil- build. It could cost as much as $1 billion to get rid of it. Shutting down the Mammoth Power Plant near Burlington will mean having to dispose of about 20 million pounds of radioactive waste and radiation-tainted equipment, according to a report from the Wolf Creek Operating Corporation to the Kansas Corporation Commission. This marks the first time any cost estimate for dismantling Wolf Creek has exceeded $1 billion. All right. But West Star Energies and the state's consumer advocate say they don't expect it to substantially raise rates in the near term. Who knows about the long term? Who cares? Mm-hmm. More than three years since it was crippled by an earthquake, a tsunami and triple core meltdown, Fook is still bleeding tons of toxic radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean, according to the Japan Times. A second container of plutonium-contaminated debris may have contributed to a radiation leak that has led to the indefinite suspension of operations at the underground nuclear waste dump in New Mexico, according to the Energy Department. Decommissioning of the San Onofre nuclear generating station in northern San Diego County in California will cost an estimated $4.4 billion. More than Kansas. Yeah, according to a plan submitted by Southern California Edison. The plan uh, envisions major decommissioning work to begin in early 2016. And uh, the plan includes a plan of how to manage spent fuel. Respend it. Save it. The plan was vetted in a series of public meetings. The project cost includes physical dismantlement. Nice word. Of San Onofre. 
Units 2 and 3 within 20 years managing and storing the used nuclear fuel until it is accepted by the U.S. Department of Energy. Hold your breath. And restoring the site for future use. Want to buy a used nuclear plant? Yeah, that's a nice pitch. A plug of ice has failed to completely block the flow of groundwater into the basement of Japan's Fuk nuclear plant, leading to the continued risk of radioactive contamination. Officials at TEPCO have continued, have, have admitted. So the ice plug didn't work. No, the ice plug didn't work. 86, the ice plug, everybody. The casing around the ruined nuclear reactor at Chernobyl is crumbling, causing a renewed radioactive contamination risk. A new cover for the site is under construction, but the project is running out of funding. There's no precedent for this anywhere in the world. Of course there's uncertainty, says Jochen Flasbach, the German Ministry of the Interior civil servant. was talking about the new safe confinement and new protective cover that is to be built over the stricken reactor at Chernobyl. 100 meters high, 165 meters long, built at a safe distance from the still radioactive ruin. It it will slide over the reactor on rails, three times as large as St. Peter's in Rome, if it is finished. At the moment, there is no money. That's the uncertainty he is talking about. A shortfall of 600 million euros by the end of the year. Construction is proving to be more expensive than expected. No. Yeah. Uh, And funding more difficult to obtain. A Ukrainian government construction freeze now threatens the project. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission this week released a long delayed report on the suitability of Yucca Mountain as a disposal spot for nuclear waste, finding the design met the commission's requirements, laying the groundwork to restart the project if control of the Senate changes hands in the elections next month and is no longer under the control of Harry Reid from Nevada, who was always pledged to keep Yucca Mountain from being used as a nuclear dump. Republicans have been pushing to use the site to store spent reactor fuel and highly radioactive leftovers from Cold War bomb-making. The report, mostly done in 2010, but frozen until a recent court decision concluded the design had the required multiple barriers to assure long-term isolation of radioactive materials. Uh, Says John Shimkus, Republican of Illinois, senior member of the House Energy Committee, today's report confirms nuclear waste stored on that mountain in that desert surrounded by federal land will be safe and secure for at least a million years. Well, that you can take to the bank and get interest for a million years. Think of it. Good point. The U.S. Department uh, EPA is finding another federal agency up to $10,000 for each week it fails to start moving radioactive sludge away from the Columbia River at the Hanford Reservation. So EPA is finding the Department of Energy. Left pocket to right pocket. What, are you playing pool over there? No. Dayline Tokyo, the level of radioactive contamination detected in the underground water of the Fuk plant has increased after torrential rain caused by a typhoon last week, according to TEPCO. Let's ban rain. You're getting snarky there, uh, Addy. Snarky the Addy. Uh, Deadline Seoul, among the usual commercials on South Korean TV, one stands out in marked contrast. A short film by a government advisory body carries a stark message. The nation faces the crisis over storing its spent nuclear fuel after running reactors for decades. Plans to cram their existing sites with more fuel than they were originally intended to hold while it looks for a permanent solution, although some scientists say that may decrease air circulation and increase the risk of fires and Vermont Yankees soon to close. That'll cost up to $1.24 billion for decommissioning of its reactor. Less than California. Think of it. I will. Clean, cheap, safe. Too, safe, too cheap to decommission. Our friend, the Atom.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations on NPR Worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. and 440 cable system in Japan. Watch out for those ice plugs around the world by the American Forces Network uh, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com. Oh, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet. And available as a free podcast at wwno.org, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and iTunes. And tune in radio, too, I think. And it'll be just like finding something else to do with those ice plugs. If you'd agree, join with me then. Would you, Arthur? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and Cars I Talk t-shirts as well as uh, links to my personal appearances talking about Nixon in Philadelphia and New York next week, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm yakking at the Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans. <laughs>